Chapter Two, Part Three, of Bill the Conqueror by P. G. Woodhouse. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter Two, Part Three. In the silence which followed this frank statement of opinion, another figure added itself to the group. This was a large and benevolent-looking man in a senatorial frock coat whom bill recognized by his white beard as the boy horace's companion on the lawn even from a distance this person had seemed venerable seen at close range he achieved almost the impressiveness of a minor prophet he was smiling a grandfatherly smile the only smile of any description it may be mentioned on view in the room at that particular time for a more joyless gathering it would have been hard to find at any spot in america where a funeral was not actually in progress uncle jasper had sagged like a drooping lily uncle otis's eyes were bulging cousin evelyn gave the impression of being about to burst as for the boy horace the realization of the sort of family he had allowed himself to be adopted into seemed to have taken all the sunshine out of his life he was the first to speak and his words revealed what was weighing upon his mind do i have to kiss them all he asked you are certainly not going to kiss me said uncle jasper definitely waking from his stupor he rounded on mr paradine puffing like a seal what is the meaning of this coolie he demanded. Mr. Paradine waved a hand in the direction of the newcomer. Professor Appleby will explain. The minor prophet bowed. If he felt any embarrassment, he did not show it. His smile as he spoke was as gentle and insinuating as ever. The announcement which my good friend Paradine— How do you mean your good friend Paradine? inquired uncle jasper heatedly how long have you known him i should like to know i met professor appleby on the train coming from san francisco it was i said professor appleby breaking gently in who persuaded mr paradine to adopt this little lad here he patted the boy's head and regarded his fermenting audience kindly my name he proceeded anticipating uncle jasper who seemed about to speak is possibly not familiar to you but in certain circles i think i may assert with all modesty my views on eugenics are considered worthy of attention mr paradine i am glad to say has allowed himself to be enrolled among my disciples i am a strong supporter of mr bernard shaw's views on the necessity of starting a new race building it with the most perfect specimens of the old horace here is a boy of splendid physique great intelligence sterling character and wonderful disposition i hold and i am glad to say that he agrees with me that it is better for mr paradine to devote his money to the rearing and training of such a boy than to spend it on relatives who i may say have little future and from whom he can expect pardon me but small returns 
Mr. Paradine intends to found a family that looks forward instead of back, a family of er comers instead of a family of has-beens. The relatives gave tongue. All through this harangue they had been trying to speak, but Professor Appleby was not an easy man to interrupt. Now that he had paused, they broke out, Cousin Evelyn in the lead, Uncles Jasper and Otis following close behind. "'I never heard of such a thing in my life! This fellow's a dangerous crank!' "'Is it really possible that you intend to make this, this uncouth boy, your heir?' rather than your own flesh and blood? Professor Appleby intervened gently. One must admit, he acknowledged, that Horace is at present a trifle unpolished. I quite see that. But what of it? A good tutor will remedy so small a defect in a few months. The main thing is that the little lad is superbly healthy and extremely intelligent. The little lad made no acknowledgment of these stately tributes. He was still wrestling with the matter nearest his heart. "'I will not kiss him,' he now announced firmly. "'No, sir, not unless somebody makes me a bet about it. I once kissed a goat on a bet.' Cousin Evelyn threw up her hands, causing Willie Dog to fall squashily to the floor. "'What an impossible little creature!' "'I think, my dear Paradine,' said Professor Appleby mildly, "'that as conversation seems to be becoming a little acrimonious, "'it would be best if I took Horace for a stroll in the grounds. "'It is not good for his growing mind to have to listen to these wranglings.' "'Cousin Evelyn stiffened militantly. "'Pray do not let us disturb Horace in his home.' She attached a lead to Willie Dog's collar and made for the door. "'Good-bye, Uncle Cooley,' she said, turning. "'I consider I have been grossly and heartlessly insulted.' "'Hey!' exclaimed Horace, pointing. "'You've dropped your knitting, and it's dragging.' With one long, silent look of repulsion, Cousin Evelyn gathered Willie Dog into her arms and passed out. Uncle Jasper stumped to the door. "'Good-bye, Jasper,' said Mr. Paradine. "'Good-bye. I shall immediately take steps to have a lunacy commission appointed to prevent you carrying out this mad scheme.' "'And I,' said Uncle Otis, "'I have only to say, Cooley, that the journey here has left me out of pocket to the extent of three dollars and seventy-nine cents.' you shall hear from my lawyer he took little cooley by the hand come john he said bitterly in future you will be known by your middle name horace observed this exodus with a sardonic eye say i seem to be about as popular as a cold welsh rabbit he remarked bill came forward amiably i've got nothing against you buddy he said, as far as I'm concerned, welcome to the family. If that's the family, said Horace, you're welcome to him yourself. And placing his little hand in Professor Appleby's, he left the room. Mr. Paradine eyed Bill grimly. 
Well, William? Well, Uncle Cooley? I take it that you have gathered the fact that I do not intend to continue your allowance. Yes, I gathered that. His young relative's calm seemed to embarrass Mr. Paradine a little. He spoke almost defensively. Worst thing in the world for a boy your age to have all the money he wants without earning it. Exactly what I feel, said Bill, enthusiastically. What I need is work. It's disgraceful, he said warmly, that a fellow of my ability and intelligence should not be making a living for himself. Disgraceful. Mr. Paradine's sanguine countenance took on a deeper red. Very humorous, he growled, very humorous and whimsical. But what you expect to gain by... Humorous? You don't imagine I was being funny, do you? I thought you were trying to be. Good Lord, no. Why, I came here this afternoon fully resolved to ask you for work. You've taken your time getting round to it. I didn't get a chance to mention it before. And what sort of work do you suppose I can give you? A job in the firm? What as? Bill's extremely slight knowledge of the ramifications of the pulp and paper business made this a difficult question to answer. Oh, oh, anything, he replied with valiant spaciousness. I could employ you at addressing envelopes at ten dollars a week. Fine, fine, said Bill. When do I start? Mr. Paradine peered at him suspiciously through his glasses. Are you serious? I should say so. Well, I'm bound to say, observed Mr. Paradine after a pause, seeming a trifle disconcerted. Your attitude has taken me by a good deal of surprise. Bill thought of murmuring that his uncle did not realize the hidden depths in his character, but decided not to. It's an odd thing, William, but the only member of my family for whom I still retain some faint glimmer of affection is you. Bill smiled his gratification. And you, boomed Mr. Paradine, are an idle, worthless, good-for-nothing. Still, I'll think it over. You're not going back to the city at once. Not if you want me. I may want you. Stay here for another hour or so. I'll go and stroll by the lake. Mr. Paradine scrutinized him keenly. I can't understand it, he muttered, wanting to work. I don't know what's come over you. I believe you're in love or something. For about a quarter of an hour after the parting of uncle and nephew, perfect peace brooded upon Mr. Cooley Paradine's house and grounds. At the end of that period, Roberts the butler, agreeably relaxed in his pantry over a cigar and a tale of desert love, was startled out of his tranquillity by the sound of a loud, metallic crash, appearing to proceed from the drive immediately in front of the house. Laying down cigar and book, he bounded out to investigate. It was not remarkable that there had been a certain amount of noise. Hard by one of the colonial pillars which the architect had tacked on to Mr. Paradine's residence to make it more interesting, lay the wreckage of a red two-seater car, and from the ruins of this there was now extricating itself a long figure in a dust-coat, 
revealed a moment later as a young man of homely appearance with a prominent arched nose and plaintive green eyes hello said this young man spitting out gravel roberts gazed at him in speechless astonishment the wreck of the two-seater was such a very comprehensive wreck that it seemed hardly possible that any recent occupant of it could still be in one piece had a bit of a smash said the young man an accident sir gasped roberts if you think i did it on purpose said the young man prove it he surveyed the ruins interestedly that car he said sagely after a prolonged scrutiny will want a bit of fixing however did it happen sir just one of those things that do happen coming up the drive at a pretty good lick when a bird settled in the middle of the fairway tried to avoid running over the beastly creature and must have pulled the wheel too far round because all of a sudden i skidded a couple of yards burst a tire and hit the side of the house good heavens sir it's all right said the young man reassuringly i was coming here anyway he discovered a deposit of gravel in his left eyebrow and removed it with a blue silk handkerchief this is mr paradine's house isn't it he asked yes sir good is mr west here yes sir that's fine i wish you would tell him i want to see him coker's the name mr judson coker very good sir something in the butler's manner a certain placidity and lack of emotion appeared to displease the young man he frowned slightly judson coker he repeated yes sir judson looked at him expectantly name's familiar eh no sir you don't mean to say you've never heard it before not to my knowledge sir good gad said judson he reached out a long arm and detained the receding roberts by the simple process of seizing the tail of his coat even in his moods of normalcy there was never anything aloof and reticent about judson coker he was always ready to chat anywhere at any time with anyone and now his accident had brought about in him a still greater urge towards loquacity shocks affect different people in different ways judson's had left him bubblingly confidential do you mean to tell me honestly as man to man he demanded incredulously that you have never heard the name judson coker before no sir don't you ever read broadway badinage no sir nor town gossip no sir good gad the failure of this literacy test seemed to discourage judson he released the butler's coat-tail and relapsed into a moody silence shall i bring you a whisky and soda sir asked roberts it had come home to him by this time that the young visitor was not wholly himself and remorse swept over him long ere this he told himself he should have been playing the part of a kindly physician the question restored judson's cheerfulness immediately it was the sort of question that never failed to touch a chord in him my dear old chap you certainly may he responded with enthusiasm 
i've been wondering when you were going to lead the conversation round to serious subjects mix it pretty strong will you not too much water and about the amount of whiskey that would make a rabbit bite a bulldog uh, yes sir will you step inside the house no thanks sit right here if it's all the same to you the butler retired to return a few moments later with the healing fluid he found his young friend staring pensively at the sky i say said judson breathing a satisfied sigh as he lowered his half-empty glass coming back to that you were kidding just now weren't you when you said you didn't know my name no sir i assure you well this is the most extraordinary thing i ever heard you seem to know about as much of what's going on in the world as a hen does of tooth powder didn't you ever hear of the silks silks sir yes the fifth avenue silks no sir good gad very famous walking club you know used to assemble on sunday mornings and parade up fifth avenue in silk pajamas silk socks silk hats and silk umbrellas in case it rained you really never heard of them no sir well i'm darned doesn't that just show you what fame is i shouldn't have thought there was an educated man in the country who hadn't heard of the silks we got a whole page in the sunday magazine section of the american the week the police stopped us indeed sir we certainly did with a picture of me i founded the silks you know yes sir oh yes i've done a good deal of that sort of thing i went up in an airplane once scattering dollar bills over the city i'm surprised you've not heard of me we live very much out of the great world down here sir ah i suppose you do said judson cheered by this solution yes i guess that must be it quite likely you might not have heard of me if that's so but you can take it from me that i've done a lot of things in my time clever things you know that made people talk if it hadn't been for me i don't suppose the custom of wearing the handkerchief up the sleeve would ever have been known in america indeed sir i assure you to some men these reminiscences might have proved enthralling but not to one who like roberts was in the middle of chapter eleven of sand and passion and wanted to get back to it he removed the decanter gently from the reach of judson's clutching hand and tactfully endeavoured to end the conversation i made inquiries sir and was informed that mr west was last seen walking in the direction of the lake perhaps if you would care to look for him there judson rose you're perfectly right he said earnestly absolutely right i've got to see old bill immediately came here specially to see him no time to lose which way is this lake over yonder sir ah but here is mr west coming up the drive eh mr west sir coming up the drive and having indicated bill's approaching figure to the visitor who was peering vaguely in every direction but the right one roberts withdrew into the house he paused in the hall to telephone to the occupants of the local garage that there was a man's work for them to do in mr paradine's front garden then returned to the pantry and resumed his reading 
it was the unwelcome arrival on its grassy shores of professor appleby and the boy horace that had driven bill from the lake he was in no mood for conversation for it had suddenly become plain to him that he had got to do some very tense thinking events since his coming to mr paradine's house had marched so rapidly that he had not had leisure until this moment to appreciate the problems and complexities with which life had filled itself brooding now upon these he could see that fate had manoeuvred him into a position where he was faced with the disagreeable necessity of being in two places at one and the same time obviously if his newly displayed enthusiasm for toil was to carry weight he must enter uncle cooley's office immediately obviously also if he entered uncle cooley's office immediately he could not take judson off for a fishing trip if he went off now upon a fishing trip what would uncle cooley think of him and conversely if he cancelled the fishing trip what would alice coker feel but that he had failed her in her hour of need after buoying her up with airy promises bill staggered beneath the burden of the problem and was so preoccupied that judson had to call him twice before he heard him why hello judson what on earth are you doing here he wrung the hand of the founder of the fifth avenue silks with considerable animation since their somewhat distant talk on the telephone that morning his mental attitude towards judson had changed a good deal in his capacity of practically accepted suitor of sister alice bill had taken on a sort of large benevolence towards her entire family he found himself glowing with brotherly affection for judson and even conscious of a certain timid desire to fraternize with the redoubtable j birdsey he massaged judson's shoulder lovingly quite suddenly it had come to him that the problem which had been weighing him down was no problem at all he had been mistaken in supposing that two alternatives of action presented themselves now that the sudden spectacle of judson had so to speak stressed the coker motif in the rhythm of life he saw clearly that there was only one course for him to pursue at whatever cost to himself and his financial future he must keep faith with alice the fishing trip was on the spectacular entry into the pulp and paper business off hello bill old man said judson just the fellow i want to see as a matter of fact i came out here specially to see you had a bit of a smash he added indicating the debris good heavens bill quivered with a cold dismay at the thought of her brother having motor smashes you aren't hurt no just joggled a bit say listen bill alice has been tipping me off about what's happened at home there's no mistake about this fishing trip is there because if there is i'm sunk a week at the old lady's would finish me that's all right bill patted his shoulder i promised alice and that's enough the thing's settled bill hesitated blushfully for a moment judson old man he went on his voice trembling i asked her to be my wife breakfast every morning at seven-thirty if you can believe it 
said judson and working on the farm all day to be my wife repeated bill in a slightly louder tone and if there's one thing that gives me the pip said judson it's messing about with a bunch of pigs and chickens i asked alice to marry me and then family prayers you know and hymns and things i couldn't stand it old man simply couldn't stand it she wouldn't give me a definite answer who wouldn't alice alice what about bill's attitude of general benevolence towards the coker family began to undergo a slight modification some of its members he felt could be a little trying at times i asked your sister alice to marry me he said coldly but she wouldn't actually promise well that's fine said judson i mean you can get out of it all right what revolted as bill was and he gazed at his friend with a chilly loathing which might have wounded a more sensitive man his determination was not weakened judson might have rather less soul than a particularly unspiritual warthog but he still remained alice's brother wait here he said stiffly i must go and see my uncle why to tell him about this fishing trip does he want to come too asked judson perplexed he wants me to go to work in his office at once and i must tell him that it will have to be postponed mr paradine had left the study when bill got there but familiarity with his habits told bill where to look he found him in the library perilously perched upon a long ladder browsing on a volume which he had extracted from an upper shelf uncle cooley mr paradine gazed down from the heights he replaced the book and descended i wanted to see you william he said sit down i was just going to ring for roberts to tell you to come here he lowered himself into the deep chair which had been the object of little cooley's recent attentions i have a suggestion to make what i wanted to say shut up said mr paradine bill subsided his uncle scrutinized him closely there was something appraising in his glance i wonder if you have any sense at all he said i shut up said mr paradine he sniffed menacingly bill began to wish that he had some better news for this fiery little man than the information that he proposed to abandon the idea of work and go fishing you've always been bone idle resumed mr paradine like all the rest of the family but there's no knowing whether you might not show some action if you were put to it how would you like me to continue your allowance for another three months or so very much said bill mind you you'd have to do something to earn it certainly agreed bill after i come back from this fishing i can't go myself said mr paradine meditatively and i ought to send someone there's something wrong somewhere you see shut up don't interrupt this is the position the returns of my london branch aren't at all satisfactory haven't been for a long time can't make out why my manager there struck me as a very shrewd fellow 
Still, there's no getting away from it. The profits have been falling off badly. I'm going to send you to London, William, to look into things. London? said Bill, blankly. Exactly. When do you want me to go? At once. But you're wondering, said Mr. Paradine, placing an erroneous construction on his nephew's hesitation, just exactly what I expect you to do when you get to London. Well, frankly, I don't know myself, and I don't quite know why I'm sending you. I suppose it's just with the faint hope of discovering whether you have any intelligence at all. I certainly don't expect you to solve a mystery which has been puzzling a man like Slingsby for two years. Slingsby? Wilfred Slingsby, my London manager, very capable man. I say I don't expect you to go straight over there and put your finger on the solution of a problem that has baffled a man like Slingsby. All I feel is that if you keep your eyes open and try to learn something about the business and take an interest in its management, you may happen, by luck, to blunder on some suggestion which, however foolish in itself, might possibly give Slingsby an idea which would put him on the right track. I see said bill the estimate of his potentialities as factor in solving the firm's little difficulties was not a flattering one but he had to admit that it was probably more or less correct it'll be good training for you you can go and see slingsby and he can tell you something about the business that will all help said mr paradine with a chuckle when you come back here and start addressing envelopes bill hesitated I'd like to go, Uncle Cooley. There's a boat on Saturday. I wonder if I could have half an hour to think it over. Think it over? Mr. Paradine swelled ominously. What do you mean, think it over? Do you understand that I am offering you? Oh, oh yes, I quite see that. It's only... Look here, let me just pop downstairs and speak to a fellow. "'What are you talking about?' demanded Mr. Paradine warmly. "'Why downstairs? What fellow? You're gibbering!' He would have spoken further, but Bill was already at the door, with a deprecating smile in his uncle's direction, intended to convey the message that all would come right in the future. He edged out of the room. "'Judson!' he said, reaching the hall and looking about for him. He perceived that his friend was engaged at the telephone. "'Half a minute,' said Judson into the receiver. "'Here's Bill West. Just talking to Alice,' he explained over his shoulder. "'Father's come home, and he says it's all right about that trip. "'Ask her to ask him if it will be as good if I take you over to London instead,' said Bill hurriedly. "'My uncle wants me to go over there at once.' "'London?' Judson shook his head mournfully. "'Not a chance. My dear old chap, you're missing the whole point of this business.' The idea is to dump me somewhere where I can't. Tell her to tell him, urged Bill feverishly, that I will pledge my solemn word that you shan't have a cent of money or a drop of drink from the time you start to the day you get back. Say, you'll be just as safe in London with me as... Judson did not permit him to finish the sentence. Genius! murmured Judson, a smile of infinite joy irradiating his face. 
absolute genius i should never have had the gall to think up anything like that his face clouded again i doubt if it'll work though father's not a chump you know still i'll try it there was a telephonic interval at the end of which judson relaxed and reported progress she's gone to ask him but i doubt i very much doubt hello hello he turned to the telephone again and listened for a space he handed the instrument to bill she wants to speak to you bill took the telephone with trembling hands yes he said devoutly impossible to say anything as coarsely abrupt as hello the musical voice of alice coker trilled at the other end of the wire who is that it's me er bill oh mr west said alice i've been speaking to father about judson going to london with you yes he was very much against it at first but when i explained to him that you would take such great care of juddy oh i, I will i will you really will see that he has no money at all not a cent and nothing to drink not a drop very well then he may go thank you so much mr west bill was beginning to try to put into neat phrases the joy he felt at the thought of doing the least service for her but a distant click told him that his eloquence would be wasted he hung up the receiver emotionally well said judson anxiously it's all right judson uttered a brief whoop of ecstasy bill you're a marvel the way you pulled that stuff about not letting me have any money <laughs> as solemn as a what do you call it that was what turned the scale as quick a bit of thinking as i ever struck said judson with honest admiration gosh what a time we'll have in london there's a place i've always wanted to see all those historic spots you read about in the english novels you know romanos the savoy bar and all that bill old man we'll paint that good old city bright scarlet from end to end it became apparent to the horrified bill that young mr coker had got an entirely wrong angle on the situation only too plainly it was shown by his remarks the divine alice's deplorable brother had mistaken his recent promises for mere persiflage evidently holding them to be nothing but part of a justifiable ruse to assist a pal he choked do you really think he said slowly struggling with his feelings that i would deceive that sweet girl you betcha said judson sunnily for a long moment bill eyed him in cold silence 
Then, still without speaking, he strode off up the stairs to inform Mr. Paradine that his services were at his disposal. Down on the lawn that ran beside the lake, Professor Appleby paced to and fro with the boy Horace. His white head was bent, and one viewing them from afar would have said that the venerable old man was whispering sage counsel into his young friend's ears. Words of wisdom, designed to shape and guide his future life. And so he was. "'Now, listen to me, kid,' he was saying, "'and get this into your nut. I've got you in good and solid in this house, and now it's up to you. You don't want to hang around here picking daisies. A nice, quick clean-up. That's what we want from you, young man.' The boy nodded briefly. The minor prophet continued. "'It's got to be an inside job, of course. But I'll have Joe the Dip get in touch with you and stand by in case you need him. Not that the party's likely to get rough, if you only do your end of the thing without bungling it. Still, it's as well to have Joe handy. So keep an eye out for him.' "'Sure.' and don't go getting lazy just because you're in soft in a swell home where you'll probably have lots of good things to eat that's the trouble with you you think too much of your stomach if you were left to yourself you'd lie back in a chair stuffing yourself forever without giving a thought to the rest of the gang you can't run a business that way just remember that we're waiting outside and that what we want is quick action it's no good rushing me protested horace i mayn't be able to do anything for weeks got to fix up a house party haven't i so there'll be lots of women around with jewelry professor appleby clutched his white beard in anguish gosh darn it he moaned are you really so boneheaded or are you just pretending haven't i told you a dozen times that we aren't after jewels this time you don't suppose a hermit like old paradine gives house parties to women do you didn't i tell you till i was hoarse that what we want is those books of his i thought you were kidding pleaded horace what's the use of a bunch of books if you'll just do as you're told and not try to start thinking for yourself said professor appleby severely we may get somewhere those books may not look good to a little runt like you who doesn't think of anything outside of what's for dinner but let me tell you that there isn't one of them that isn't worth four figures and lots of them are worth five that's so said horace impressed it certainly is and what you've got to do is to snoop around and find out just where the best of them are kept and then get away with them see sure it oughtn't to be hard said professor appleby you've got the run of the place everything's certainly working nice and smooth the old man swallowed those references of yours hook line and sinker well why wouldn't he gee said horace with feeling when i think of all the sunday schools i've had to go to to get em professor appleby frowned the boy's tone offended him horace 
he said chidingly. You must not speak in that way. If you're going to say a single word against your Sunday school, I just won't listen. Do you get me, you little shrimp, or have I got to clump you one on the side of the bean? I get you, said Horace. End of chapter 2, part 3